Isaiah 59 and verse number 14. If I were to ask you what the most valuable commodity that we have in this world today is, many of you would rightly answer time. We've discussed this before. Time is the only commodity that has no hope of being restored. You lose riches, you lose reputation, even your health. Theoretically, that can still be replenished. But once you've spent time, it can't be replaced. Time's gone. Now, having said that, I want to frame the question a little bit differently. What asset do you think this world most needs? If you could fill the world with anything, some would say, oh, Love. Love. Some would say wealth, because all of our problems are because of, you know, people in poverty here and there. Everybody needs wealth. Influence. Knowledge. Understanding. Oh, here's a watchword for the day, tolerance. If everybody had tolerance. If you could fill the world with one asset, what would it be? Recently, I was given an uninvited but much-needed reminder on what I think is the world's greatest need. What the world needs most, it wants least. What the world needs most, it seldom recognizes. What the world needs most, when it does identify it, it rejects it. What the world needs most is truth. Our theme for the year is making him known. The world, I believe, most needs truth. But so many, and this includes professing Christians, have abandoned truth in favor of pragmatic outcomes and public opinion. Feelings have supplanted fact as the driving force of intellectual and spiritual discourse. Some will label any perspective, no matter how absurd, as truth because it fits their narrative. Right now, you probably have some absurd things popping into your mind that people are saying these days that is called truth. Other people lack the misguided courage to stand on a wrong proposition and simply adopt the posture of Pilate who asks, what is truth? They won't won't cling to a truth, right or wrong. They'll just wisp around saying, you know, I don't know what truth really is. We can't know. That's what you call a cop-out. That's what you call a fold. You know? I I have more respect for somebody that stands by an absurd wrong truth than I do somebody that refuses to identify truth at all. How many of us have offered counsel to a friend? 
We give them clear, direct biblical truth about their situation only to discover that all they really wanted was confirmation of the position they'd already adopted. They weren't interested in truth. The official motto of Harvard University, it's on their diplomas. You know what it is? It's one word in Latin, veritas. You know what veritas means in Latin? Truth. If you've followed Harvard at all, you know that Harvard long ago slipped away from any moorings of truth that they ever had. Even churches are shifting away from truth, and, and there's a lot of reasons, but a lot of times it's because attendance and by, by ex extension giving is down when they focus too much on truth. In Isaiah 59, he paints a vivid picture of what happens when truth is rejected. And as he projects the coming downfall of Judah, he points out something in verse number 14 that I want us to look at. He says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Now, proper interpretation tells us this is directed at Israel almost three millennia ago. I get that. But application presents an eerie parallel to modern society. So let's take a few minutes, study this powerful passage, and look closely at truth, the world's greatest need. So, Father, would you help us with this? Would you help me to rightly divide your word of truth? May Jesus be lifted up in it, and may we be helped and made more like him. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. The world's greatest need is truth. Now, the first thing that we, we see when we look at this passage is we see that truth has been willfully rejected. There's a willful rejection of truth. Look at verse number 1. Isaiah 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So verse 1 makes it clear that God is both willing and able to save people. Would you agree with that? God is willing and he is able. He is so willing that he sent his son to die for us, to take our sins upon himself and suffer our shame and our punishment in our place. God is completely willing. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's not a soul under the sound of my voice, whether it's here or watching online or watching later on YouTube or whatever, there's not a soul that will ever hear this message that God doesn't want you to be saved. The question is, if he's willing and he's able, and he is, and he's the only one able, then why are some not saved? 
Because verse 1 makes it clear he's willing and able, but verse 2 makes it clear that man willfully has separated himself from God's grace. Man has made choices. It started with Adam and Eve. God gave them one instruction. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they willfully rebelled and flushed away everything that we could have had initially. Now, I'm glad to report to you that God is such a good God. We gain more in Jesus than we lost in Adam. There's a happy ending here, but not without much suffering and much sorrow. It was a willful rejection. Would you agree with me that in today's society, there is a willful rejection of truth? In fact, a lot of people want to endeavor to say that truth is relative. That truth, you've got your truth, and I've got my truth. I just want to run with this, but I'm not. Truth is truth. And if it's not truth, it's a lie. I don't care how you finagle it. Two plus two will always be four. Things that are right are always right. Things that are wrong are always wrong. And you can argue and fuss and pontificate and everything else, but when it's all said and done, what will determine everybody's eternal destiny? Truth. That's it. You can't escape it. I watched the other day as lie after lie after lie was told. And no one called them on it. But I wasn't surprised. Because that's where we live now, isn't it? Truth has fallen in the streets. And equity cannot enter. It begins with a willful rejection. Then we see that from that willful rejection comes woeful repercussions. You can't reject truth and there would be no consequences. It's interesting. We, we look at today as being the explosion of scientific thought. But I would offer to you that we have really regressed scientifically. We, we look at things like plasma TVs and 4D and H, 4H, all that stuff. All that is is refinements of discoveries that have already been made. When you look back to when the real stuff happened, I mean, who in here would have come with the understanding of gravity? Who in here has the brain power to come up with the laws of thermodynamics? We're talking about Newton and Copernicus and all these guys. That is when scientific things were exploding. And what was the common denominator? They pursued truth. 
Many of these people, not for nothing, were Bible believers. When did science really take a hit? When we decided we were okay with a theory that falsely said that there is no God that created anything. Oh, you're one of those guys. I sure am. I believe that the Bible teaches that God in heaven created everything that we see in six literal 24-hour days. I reject in part and parcel evolution. I think it is a lie. I think it is a bad theory, and it is most certainly not science. Oh, but Darwin codifies wrong thinking that had been around for a long time, and people ran after it. You know why? Because it lets them believe they have no one to whom they answer. And since then, science has taken a nosedive. And now you've got people in the American Medical Association that is telling you that somebody's biological gender doesn't matter in their treatment. What? I don't want to pick on just one group. So let's pick on a bunch. Now, are there situations in which young people need medical treatment? Absolutely. But would you agree with me that there's a whole lot of situations we've drugged our kids into oblivion instead of raising them? And my soul, and I'm not going to get specific about it, but my soul, the COVID mess. I'll just leave it there. The COVID mess. See, when you reject truth, you can't expect things to get better. They get worse. And not only have we regressed scientifically, we've regressed morally. This, this Epstein thing gets full, when, it, when it's flushed out into the full light of things, I don't want to know. Honestly, I don't want it occupying my mind. The trafficking that goes on in this world, why? Why is all of this happening? It is not because this party's in power, or this party's in power, or these people, or this community is underserved, or this community doesn't have enough wealth. No, it's because we have willfully rejected truth. What are the woeful repercussions? Look at verse number three. It kind of outlines the state of God's people in Isaiah's day, and frankly, it continues to outline the people today. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. What do we see there? We see a culture of death. Hands are defiled with blood. We see a culture of destruction. Your fingers with iniquity. A culture of deceit. Lips have spoken lies. And a culture of debauchery. Tongues have muttered perverseness. That's what happens. When you reject truth. And this pattern continues throughout the chapter. If you read through the first part of verse 14, you see all of these things mentioned over and over and over and over. And would you agree with me that today in 2024, we still see a culture of death?
we flood our airwaves with death. Entire religions are built on it. I could have a civil discussion with somebody about the morning after pill. Though for the record, I believe life begins at conception, that that child is a person and should be protected from that moment. But that's my, my belief. And a thousand horses won't knock me off of it either, by the way. But I could have a civil discussion with somebody about the morning after pill. But these godless, reprobate, satanistic people that believe that a woman ought to be able to take her child's life up until the moment of birth, there is no human explanation for that except utter debauchery and wickedness. We absolutely live in a culture of death. We absolutely live in a culture of destruction, a culture of deceit. We laugh about it. How do you know a politician's lying if his lips are moving? <laughs> when did we become okay with that? I'm going to tell you right now, somebody running for office lies to me, they don't get my vote. But it's okay. They're politicians. And we're okay with it. In my, in my home, my kids understand this. There's any number of things, any number of indiscretions and things they can mess up on that, that there is forgiveness and we will let it go and we will use it as a teachable moment. But it is understood that though I will forgive and though I will still love, you lie to me, there is always a consequence. Because we are supposed to be, especially as Christians, men and women of our word. And yet deceit is all around us. And a culture of debauchery. Even within our school. Some of the things that find their way into conversations with, at our lunch tables. And it quickly becomes apparent what parents are watching at home. God help us when an eight-year-old knows anything about Game of Thrones. Never seen an episode of it, but I know how wicked it is. How did our society get like this? I'll tell you how it happened. We willfully rejected truth. And it brought about woeful repercussions. And it culminates in verse number 14, where we started. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. What does that mean? That means nobody is receiving justice and nobody is executing justice. You don't have to watch our court system long to see not many people are receiving justice and not many people are executing it. This world needs truth more than anything else, and it begins because of a willful rejection, which brings about woeful repercussions. Yeah. 
Then number three, there's a way that's roadblocked. We're still in verse 14. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Equity means balanced integrity. There was a time when this right here, Brother Earl, was as good as any contract ever signed. It was called integrity. Now, it is just assumed that contracts are violated. I sign a five-year, $50 million deal. I'm a year in. I don't like the way this is playing out. I refuse to play until you give me a new contract. Well, then why did you do the first one? Contracts don't mean anything. Equity. Balanced integrity. Now, that means integrity that is flawless, but you're balanced in how you apply it. Because there is, there is a wrong way to apply integrity. And we need to have grace, and we need to show the same grace that God shows us. But when we do, that's balanced integrity. But when truth has fallen in the streets, it can't get in. The picture is of a tree that has fallen across the main thoroughfare. And, 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 and so people that are coming in in their carts and in their chariots, that tree has blocked the way. Now, there's something interesting about Hebrew is a very picturesque language. And, and the way that the word for fallen here is used is, is interesting. It's a tree that has fallen due to internal decay. You know that there are some trees that can be rotten to the core but look fine on the outside. And you don't know there's a problem until you get some wind or some ice, and then down it comes. And once it's come down and you see the inside, you see that thing was long gone. That's the picture that's being painted here. What's the point? If the tree is internally decayed, but the outside remains in appearance as it always has, the point is truth left long ago. And what remains may resemble truth to many, but it's rotten to the core. And that is the pseudo-truth that occupies our society today. Looks good, but it's not truth, and it's rotten to the core. This means that this counterfeit truth now lays dead in the path of our lives and keeps out any semblance of integrity. It keeps it out of our homes. It keeps it out of our places of government. It keeps us out of our courtrooms. It keeps it out of our schools. It keeps it out of our laboratories. It keeps it out of our churches. Well, this was a fun message, wasn't it? Andy, you said at the beginning of this service that people needed to be encouraged. And then you tell us willful rejection, woeful re repercussions, a way that's roadblocked. I'm not encouraged. 
Well, you should be. Because the Bible gives a wonderful response. Y'all, if we're going to, if we're going to look straight on at anything, one of the things that we've covered in our study in our Bible class is if you're not willing to identify a problem, you can never deal with it. And we need to look straight on at this and deal with it. The fact is, truth has fallen in the street. And we need to look at our own lives and ask ourselves, what about me? Where's truth in my life? Has it kept equity out of my life? Is, it, is, is my family impaired? Is this church impaired? Is our school impaired? Are our courtrooms impaired? Are halls of justice and, 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 and legal moves and, 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 and legislation, are they impaired? The answer is yes. So what do we do? We look to the response. Would you hold your place in Isaiah and go over to John? John said, or Jesus rather said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's where it starts right there, y'all. Monday, I left Richmond troubled. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. I'm sorry, Wednesday, not Monday, Wednesday. It felt like a Monday. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Pastor, you know that mansions there means dwelling places, so it's probably more like an apartment. Well, flop on into your apartment if you want to. And if I get to heaven and find out I've got an apartment, I'm going to be okay with that. But until then, I'm going to go with the King James guys and, go, and wait for my mansion. And if they were wrong, fine, they were wrong, and I'll be happy with my apartment. But if we get to heaven and it's mansions, and you were waiting for apartments, I'm going to ask the Lord to give you an apartment. <laughs> and I'll have your mansion. Sit in my father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now that right there is all we need. No matter how bad it gets, can you remember for the Christian, this is not the end. We have a much better situation waiting. And that right there is enough of a wonderful response, but he doesn't stop there. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? What does Thomas ask for? 
He asks for the way. How do we go the way that you're talking about going? And what does Jesus answer? I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why would Jesus not just say, I'm the way? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why? That's probably several reasons. But I think it could be because there is no way without truth. And so consequently, without truth, not only is there no way, there's no life. And until the world comes face to face with truth, there's no way to be found. I don't care who's running for office. I get it. It, It's shaping up to be a pretty clear distinction in our choices in November. I get it. And no matter how much you love your chosen candidate, you need to understand something. None of them possess the answer. They might have some policies that improve our lot, but if you're looking for the way, you cannot find the way without the truth. What is the wonderful response? No matter what it is, philosophy, education, political party, ideology, science so-called, even religion, none of those are the response to where we are today. If we would know the way, if we would see a return to where we ought to be, the only thing that helps this world is the truth that is found in the person of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Politically march if you want. Knock on doors and hand out brochures if you want. Wear your buttons if you want. I'm not against any of that. But if you're doing all that to the exclusion of telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation that's offered freely through him, you've done no one a service. There's a whole lot of Republicans dead in the ground and in hell. A lot of conservatives. As I stand before you, do I have my political views? I do. Do I have my preferred candidates? I do. But I'm standing here to tell you that if you want to fix this world, the only response that works is he who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Andy, my life's falling apart. What's the answer? Jesus. I don't have two nickels to rub together. What's my answer? Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. What's my answer? Jesus. Doctor gave me some bad news the other day. What do I do? Talk to Jesus. 
well, Andy, that's so, you know, that, that, that's just so, uh, so plain and so, so uh, you, you know, cliche and all of that. Listen, I know it may sound that way, but we have got to understand something. All the ideas and all the philosophies and all the programs do nothing without Jesus. I sat in a committee room in Richmond, Virginia and listened to all kinds of craziness and all I came away with is, man, these folks need Jesus. <coughs> so what, Andy? We've all witnessed these things. And I'm sorry to say it, sometimes I've even been a party to it. Willful rejection of truth. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something as pronounced as <coughs> the transgender movement or just something that, you know, all that stuff. It doesn't have to be that. It's when whether through preaching or teaching or your own reading of the word, you see something that is presented as clear, unadulterated truth, and you don't follow it. That's willful rejection. If you know what the Bible teaches and go another way, that's willful rejection. And it will bring about woeful repercussions. You cannot disobey God and expect everything to be okay. Ecclesiastes talks about that. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, it's in the heart of the sons of men to do evil continually. What's he saying? Because God doesn't deal with it right now in front of your face, you think you got away with it. But he goes on to say, it shall not be well with the wicked. God does not let these things go on and on and on. The founder, one of the founders, I think it was Jefferson, famously said, I tremble when I think that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Truth that's been willfully rejected the woeful repercussions that come from it. A way that's roadblocked. We're not seeing integrity because of it. But we also know the proper and wonderful response. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's another name, given among, another name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you need truth. Here's the truth, friend. If you are trusting your religion, what you perceive to be your good works, your efforts, that you were in a baptistry one time, that you're a part of this denomination, that you're a good God-fearing American. I try my best. And I think that's enough to get me in. Here's the truth. And I say it in all the love I can muster. You are lost and undone and headed for hell. That's the truth. And that's true of all of us. Until we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior.
He's already paid your debt. He died, was buried, and rose again. He took his sins upon himself and suffered God's wrath. He endured what we deserved, that God's righteousness might be intact. Sin has been paid for. You need only believe. You need only believe. Would you permit me two minutes to explain that? I heard this just yesterday. What a wonderful, wonderful truth it is. Because I think there's a lot of people that wrestle with, did I do it the right way? Did I have enough faith? Was my faith strong enough? Did I, did I say the prayer right? I heard this yesterday. A man named D.A. Carson, I've got a few of his commentaries, preached this. What a wonderful truth. You remember back in Exodus, the 10th plague, when God would slay the firstborn? God gave instruction to the Israelites. You take a Passover lamb, you sacrifice it, you put the blood on the lintel on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. The night that this was supposed to happen, he imagined two friends talking. And one friend looks at the other and he says, man, I'm nervous. He says, you are? Yeah. I mean, the death angel's coming through. He says, aren't you nervous? He goes, well, no. He says, well, why? He said, well, you've done what God said, right? Did you? Did you take the lamb? Yeah. Did you take the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel? Yeah. And what did God say? When I see the blood, I'll pass over. So you'll be in your house scared to death, and I'll be in my house completely at peace. Which one of the two lost their firstborn? Neither. Because it wasn't about how strong their faith was or how well they believed. It was about whether or not God saw the blood. And you may be here and you're nervous and scared to death you didn't do it right. Sometimes that's me. But when it comes time to die, God looks at one thing. It's not how nervous I was or how strong my faith was any more than how resolute you were in yours. He'll look for one thing, the blood. And if you're not saved today, I'm not asking you to have a complete, full, 100% faith that never doubts. I'm asking you to ask Jesus to put his blood on your life. And he will. And it won't matter how you feel. And to do, honestly, it won't matter what you do. You'll want to do right. Sometimes you won't. But all God sees is the blood. 
I don't know what kind of prayer you prayed when you got saved. I don't know what kind of prayer you would want to pray. I, I really believe this. I believe belief comes down to this. Jesus, will you put your blood on me? I'm trusting you and you alone. It's all I know to do. That's the answer for you today. The wonderful response is Jesus. Maybe your Christian and truth has not had the priority in your life that it needs to. The answer is still Jesus. That blood that saved you can wash that away. Wash that sin away and make it right and make it clean and, 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 and help you. And then once we get, once judgment begins at the house of God, like Peter said, then we can start taking on our churches, our schools, our courtrooms, our meeting houses and legislatures. And we can proclaim to everyone who will hear what their greatest need is. Pilate said, what is truth? Fair question. But he was wrong on one word. Not what is truth. Who? May God help us to have the motivation and the courage to point the world to Jesus Christ, the truth, the world's greatest need. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.